This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. All right, Catherine Scholes, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Um, Wow, strange times. So we're recording the podcast um, through uh, the corona time. So you're in Tasmania and I'm in Sydney. Uh, So bear with us if there's um, uh, a difference, uh, dear listeners, in sound quality, although we're really working hard to make sure that there's not and we've got a fantastic sound engineer. Um, but uh, firstly, I want to introduce the lovely Catherine. She's the author of international best-selling books, including The Rain Queen, Make Me an Idol, The Stone Angel, The Hunter's Wife, The Lioness, The Perfect Wife, and Congo Dawn. She is particularly popular in Europe, where she has sold over two million books. Wow! Her novel, The Blue Chameleon, won the New South Wales Premier's Literary Award, and The Stone Angel was long listed in the International Dublin Literary Awards. Her new book is called The Beautiful Mother. Um, her work has been translated in over a dozen languages and includes children's titles as well as novels for adults. She has also worked as a documentary filmmaker. Catherine was born in Tanzania, the daughter of a doctor and an artist. Parts of her childhood were spent camping in remote areas where her father operated a clinic from his Land Rover and her mother painted. When she was 10, the family left Africa, going briefly to England, then migrating to Australia. She now, as I said, lives in Tasmania with her husband and two sons. Are you in isolation in the family unit? Well, yes and no. Uh, we, we have a fairly isolated life anyway because my husband's a filmmaker. We have always worked from home. But our younger son has just uh, got his first job as an intern doctor at the Royal Hobart Hospital. So, oh, wow. Yeah, we've sort of got him coming and going, but we've, we've got kind of an elaborate decontamination system for when he arrives home and mm. we're just doing the best we can, uh, really. We, we want to support him by being here with him. So... I think a lot of families having to work out how to meet everyone's needs, isolation and connection. Mm. And these doctors and nurses, they're our front line at the moment, aren't they? They are. And what a way for him to begin his medical career, Mm. (laughs) although it hasn't hasn't become hectic yet here Mm. in, in Hobart. Mm. Um, and I guess, yeah. I guess we're, we're so far so good. Um, you know, this this entire country is quite lucky. I mean, we we I think we acted quickly, and we're continuing continuing. I think to be good citizens and good responders to what the clear messages are out there at the moment, and that's stay home. Yes. Um, but anyway, we're here to talk about fiction. Although you've written about pandemics like this, talk to me about that. 
Oh, yes, that was interesting because it's a few books back now. I wrote one called The Lioness and I've been with, with my African writing because The Beautiful Mother is the fifth or sixth of my books that have been set in Tanzania where, as you mentioned, I was born and spent my childhood. And I've been interested in the independence era there, which I'm referring to the 60s and 70s, which was a time of so much change, which is a great setting for telling stories. And one of the ones that I wanted to tell was around the idea of medical research and things that had been of interest to me for a long time because of my father having been a safari doctor and having spent my childhood out there with him and seeing leprosy and, uh, you know, terrible untreated illnesses. I've always been, in a strange way, fascinated by disease. Uh, and Africa, not actually Tanzania so much, but other parts of Africa have been plagued for a long time by these terrible Ebola and Lassa fevers. We've all seen the epidemics of Ebola that have occurred over the last couple of years. So I was inspired very much by the story of Edward Jenner, who invented the first vaccinations against smallpox. And uh, I learned about him as a child. We had a fascinating subject at school called Famous People. And once a week, we, we studied a famous person. That was Oh, was what a Af nice idea. Yeah. yeah. When I was in Africa, you know, and there were great people like Grace Darling, the lighthouse keeper's daughter who rescued people. And, and Edward Jenner was one. And he was interested with smallpox, he stopped looking at the people that were getting smallpox and started to think, well, who's not getting smallpox? And milkmaids, milkmaids were always thought to be beautiful because of their unblemished complexions. And he, he eventually put two and two together and realised that they were mostly getting infected with cowpox and that was giving them immunity to smallpox. And that was where, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, just such a great story. And so I was interested in fabricating a virus. I didn't want to, to use one of the existing ones because I wanted to explore the idea of what kind of link with another wild animal, in this case the lion, uh, could, could uh, be involved with, with the, the cure for a fever. So I invented a completely new virus for that book and I worked with the Menzies uh, Medical Research Centre scientists here in Hobart uh, to you know, work out how it was going to be transmitted and what, what, what was going to be particular about it. And I, I guess the theme I was exploring there was that a, it's in a close relationship with nature and in this case with animals that, that the hope for solving some of our human problems lies. Mm. Do you think, um, one, will we um, see a, a vaccine or a drug, like a, a type of cure in the short term? And by the short term, I mean a year or two years. Mm. Um, I'm not meaning months or weeks. I'm assuming that we'll get a vaccine. And, you know, it was interesting when they suddenly started talking about chloroquine as a possible cure. And we, we used to take that every Sunday religiously to prevent us getting malaria when we were children. I still remember it because it tastes so awful. Look, I'm sure humans have always risen to the occasion and I'm sure that, that something will emerge, but it, it's not going to be tomorrow. And that, that's why we're you know, we're doing the best we can with all our, our isolation practices. Mm. So tell me a little bit about how you think isolation um, affects story. Like, 
firstly from a writer's point of view, but I also want to talk about readers and people being at home uh, and people being isolated for the first time. Uh, talk to me firstly about your own experience. Yes, well, I've got one actually, because normally I avoid isolation and solitariness. So I, I grew up in a big family and a kind of tribal world in Africa and, you, you know, you didn't seek to be by yourself. And I've always uh, realised perhaps that was a weakness because I think at the end of the day, we are by ourselves. And so uh, last year when I was desperately trying to finish this book, The Beautiful Mother, I went away to our little cabin by the sea for a whole month by myself just with the dog, which is cheating because, of course, dogs, you're not by yourself if you're with a dog. But Well, uh, well I think that's you know. okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I've made a difference to me. But, you know, there were days when I only spoke to the barista when I got my coffee or to some tourist who was lost on the beach or whatever. And I... I uh, and then someone said, oh, you need to read that book, Gifts of the Sea, which was about solitude and women in particular and how we we do need solitude to really connect with our creative selves. And and I did find that in that month. I think I'll always look back on it. And I, I did finish writing The Beautiful Mother. It had a, an ending that I knew was going to be really difficult to do. And not only that, if I couldn't do it, the whole book would not work. And I wouldn't know if I'd be able to do it till I did it. So it was a bit frightening uh, and a deadline, delivery deadline of the 1st of May. So, um, but I, I loved that solitude. I really, really found that deepened my thinking processes and my creativity. So that's something about being a writer. It is, of course, a solitary profession in a lot of ways, but because my husband's a filmmaker, writer, and now woodworker as well, we, we used to we're not completely alone here when we're working at home. As to now, for people who aren't used to it, one of the things that we're really seeing is that they're turning to books and stories. They really, mm. really are. And I'm sure Netflix and all the other platforms for, for um, media as well. But books seem to be really striking a chord. I wonder if there's some deep sense of comfort about books that reaches back into our past somehow that, that we want to go back to when we're feeling a bit frightened and, and isolated. Um, well, I, I, I tend to agree with you there. I think there's a hopefulness in reading and in reading anything, in reading romance, in reading historical fiction, because what I, I feel it does for me is it's almost historical in a way. People come through adversity regardless of what you're reading. And for me, books have survived or story has survived all time. And I think that there's an acceptance that that's what we have. And it's a, it's a comfort, it's an escapism, um, and also it's a peace of mind. It's all of those things. And I mean, you know, people I think now are reading in all kinds of ways, some is sheer escapism, you know, just take me away yeah. for a while and that's good. I'm reading a Marion Kyes, you know, she's great oh, with her, her. You know, I love yeah. her insightful pictures of family, but very much a feeling of escapism for me at the moment, reading reading the, her new book, The Grown Ups. Um, but I also look for inspiring stories. I'm, I'm next going to read, go back and read the true the um, biography of um, Catherine Hamlin, who started yes. that fistula hospital in Ethiopia, because she only died a few weeks ago, and that mm. brought her back to my attention. And she's she's one of those heroic people, and I think that you know back to my famous people lessons, it's good for us to read about people who've been very compassionate, been very brave, 
been pushed into difficult circumstances and come through it because, you know, that's inspiring to us. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Originally, um, with my new book, The Beautiful Mother, coming out last Tuesday, as I saw all of my tour, national tour cancelled, my launches cancelled, everything that I was going to do not happening, I had a little bit of a bad few days where I thought, oh, shit, my poor book's going to go out into a I world where... We all had a bad few days. <laughs> you know, I thought no one's going to be be looking and shopping. and But actually... Um, the particular book I've written this time is very much reaching into these big themes of life and I'm getting already amazing responses from readers that it is just the right book for reading now. So uh, that's good. <laughs> and and people buying books, sales are up, people are communicating with me in a way they've never done before as much. So People yeah. are online and, and they're sick of reading about... Uh, doom and gloom, um, or they're just sick of reading about coronavirus and they're turning to um, escapism. You're right. I mean, our community is just so engaged at the moment um, on our Better Reading Facebook page. We've just got um, fantastic numbers and and really great comments about what people are doing to help in isolation. And a lot of it is reading-based, of course. Yes. Um, yes. And that brings me great joy. It also brings me great joy that we can give people great comfort as well that that makes me very happy yes yes oh absolutely and I think any author you know now and then you'll just get those letters from someone and your books touch their life in some particular way and you think oh gosh it's all worthwhile you know I'm mm. not just not just amusing myself or indulging my desire to tell stories I'm doing something that's actually real and I, I, one of the things that that I know is really working with with my new book The Beautiful Mother is because it's set against the whole story of the evolution of humans, which is a story about great uh, adaptability, of course, and mm. skills of survival. Um, but it's also reminding us that we're part of something that's so old and so uh, so big and so connected to the planet that our current moment doesn't feel overwhelming. It's an interesting sort of mm. thing. I agree with that too. I mean, one of the things that, that I've found for me is the comfort that we're, there is, it's global. I mean, you know, there's a lot of us going through this at the same time. And, you know, if I have some dark moments, I start thinking about other people and how they might be coping or are they better off? Are they worse off? Um, and also too, that this f for, f for the first time in a long time has really affected people in all walks of life. You know, and I think that's very lovely. 
I agree. It's very interesting because it, you know, I, I hope we get draw good lessons out of this for the future, you know, because mm. when I was writing The Beautiful Mother, I was very conscious of the threat of climate change uh, because the, the story is set in, in East Africa, which is one of the areas known as the cradle of humankind because it was where our species uh, originated. And we now know that we all came originally there from Africa. And that's, that's a quite powerful message to us as well, that we are one people. Mm. We didn't evolve separately in completely different journeys. We have one journey and it began in Africa and we've all, we're all connected with that place. Um, but the uh, climate change was the reason why it was in, in Africa and that particular part of Africa where my novel is set had hugely... Uh, had huge climate change over short periods of time so that there were lakes appearing and disappearing and massive sort of uh, adaption required within living memory so that a grandparent would be able to say to their grandchild, you know, that was where the big lake was and it's not there now. And, and how we, uh, the reason that we stood up from being four-legged to becoming two-legged, which connects with my mm. other, other theme of the book, which is to do with motherhood, um, was all driven by climate change. And I was conscious of that, as everybody is. That is, in fact, another big um, tsunami that we, you know, perhaps will learn lessons from this crisis that will help us prevent falling victim to, you know, a, a bigger global thing that might be, in fact, even much harder to respond to. So... I think, you know, we just, we're, we're living at a time of great change and that was why looking back to another time of great change and a place of great change in East Africa was uh, very interesting for me to, 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 in a way, to discover how relevant it turned out to be just at the time that it was published. But also to, to, to um, you know, that everything has a knock-on effect. Everything is related. I mean, you know, we were talking about climate change only up till recently, up to the pandemic and, you know, we, we needed to, you know, Know, less pollution and we needed you know more wildlife and we and now this is happening i mean i'm i'm reading that um that people you know there are so many cars off the road that we're breathing cleaner air at the moment i mean we thought we could never do this and now we're doing it a friend of mine um is in kuala lumpur and he's in you know in an apartment near the park you know isolating and he said to me he's never seen uh, animals like they they seem to be because there's just no one out there so all the native animals are just taking to the park and that you know that makes me really happy <laughs> oh I agree and, and the fact is too people are there to see the animals in the park and perhaps then feeling in a bit more of a mindful headspace where they've stopped and slowed mm. down mm. and uh, you know, even the poor footballers, someone have said, well, you know, they could do with a break. They're all exhausted with yeah. all of their life of playing football. And I think, you know, that uh, I was always planning, actually. I've been writing, publishing a novel every year for a long, every, every year for God's sake, no, every two years though, for a long time, big research-based novels. And I'd always planned just a little long service leave, actually, for right now, because we do need to stop now and then and just... But we um, never thought we could do it. And now we have to do it and we're doing it. Yes, think? yes. That was the argument that we just yeah. could never do it. Yeah, yeah, now we're finding that we can. So there definitely some silver linings, all this. But, I mean, obviously that's not to, not at all to overlook what it means to people. Oh, absolutely. You know, short of resources and, you know, unable to 
buy up in the supermarket because they've only got this week's grocery money. And, you know, I think it's, it's, there's, yeah, there are a lot of aspects to it, aren't there? There really are. And, you know, and there are a lot of people dying um, and we certainly don't want that. Um, uh, talk to me about the book. Um, talk to me about, I, I want to talk, I, I'm intrigued with you um, and the fact that, you, you know, most of your writing is set in Africa, but you've probably lived most of your life in Australia now. I have, I have. And uh, I I just keep being drawn back. I mean, I do write novels set elsewhere and Mm. and in the future, I'm sure I will too. But I just have found that that, that palette of of that particular period of time in the 60s and 70s just keeps drawing me back to be so, you know, just find it so interesting. Well, I guess the setting is just, I, I think, makes a great setting really for storytelling. And uh, I just want to know how you came to this book. So does, for you, does the place come first or does the story come first? Talk to me about that and how the book comes together. It's always a combination of both. Uh, there's always something personal to me, often from the present, sometimes from the past, and then I'll find a place and somehow they'll end up being the perfect combination. Especially in this book, it seems almost impossible that I decided to write about motherhood and end up setting in, in, in an archaeologist's camp where they were searching for the origins of humans and, and that uh, a woman would end up becoming a, a, a kind of a temporary mother and having to explore parts of herself she never intended to to uh, expose, to, to give life to, because uh, she was a career woman, my character. She had ch- decided with her husband to, to never have children. And then, uh, well, the story kicks off the day that she's out in the field and she comes home with a little baby in her arms that she's to care for for four months during the dry season. And it's the baby of a, a tribe of Hadza people. And the Hadza are the last hunter-gatherer people um, still following that ancient, very ancient lifestyle in East Africa. Their lifestyle, of course, is interesting to us in the current climate because they live so lightly on the land. Mm, They mm. own almost nothing and uh, just take the day's food. They don't store food. It's strongly discouraged that you should take more food than you need because Mm. there's a a trust that the the planet will provide for you the next day. Of course, we could only dream really of that now. Oh, I'm sure they're not hoarding toilet paper, right? <laughs> not holding toilet paper yeah. and the oh, exactly and the and the freedom to move um, <laughs> has seen them through you know famines never really occurred in the history of those peoples those nomadic peoples then uh, so you know eventually I started to see how this the the, the hunter gatherer the Hudson people with their view of the world how that would work up against my character Essie with her very scientific view of the world where everything can be pinned down and quantified and and the you know, the workaholic family that she's married into, famous workaholic family, a bit inspired by the real life Leakey family, actually, um, who I discovered in the pages of National Geographic uh, as a child, and so they're still working there in, in Tanzania. And I've been to their, I went to their uh, research base to um, see to not to do research, not for this particular book, but I was reaching back to a trip I'd done ten years ago. So, yeah, that's that funny thing with the novel because looking at it now, people are saying exactly your question, what comes first? I think yes. surely, surely I put all that together deliberately. But there's this alchemy that goes on and every novelist I know talks about it. 
uh, and I mean, Elizabeth Gilbert has spoken about it in a different way. She talks about the idea having a life of its own and it kind of flutters down and sits on your shoulder and says, write about me. And uh, she says, if you ignore it, you get too distracted with life or so it'll fly away and sit on another author's shoulder and and become their story. And uh, she talked about the novel and Patchett wrote uh, State of Wonder, upset in the Amazon rainforest. And Elizabeth Gilbert said she was writing a story about those ideas. And she and Anne Patchett met up at a writers' festival. And uh, Elizabeth Gilbert had been distracted by family problems. And, and the idea went across to Anne Patchett because they're great friends. And so it's a fantastic story. I like that a lot, actually. I hadn't heard that story. I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, it might be in her book Big Magic or it might have been in a, I did was fortunate to actually meet her once and hear her speak as well. And But anyway, I, look, I just think it's a very interesting idea and I think most novelists do have a sense that there's something more going on than they're in control of. Yeah. Do you, when you think about Africa and when you think about Tanzania in particular, is there a homesickness around that? Do you think why, that's why it's a recurring theme in your writing? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I do. I think that a child that is sort of ripped out of the world that they love really deeply, and I was 10 when that happened, uh, just sort of holds that place in their heart and, and in a sense is always looking for home, I think, in a way. Uh, and, I mean, I love Tasmania and it's definitely my home and it's my family's home. Um, and I oddly sit here at my desk surrounded by the sea in fact, I'm surprised we can't hear it, the waves in the background. And and that watery place is very central to me as well. But deep down, I think I, I still hanker for those dusty plains of central Tanzania. And when I first went back as an adult about 10 years ago with my brother and my parents, uh, we landed, of course, in Dar es Salaam, which is tropical and not like the area we came from. And then we drove inland. And as we got deeper and deeper into the heartland of the country, my brother and I would just look at each other and think, we know this place, you know. Yeah. And we do. And I felt such a sense that, you know, I almost felt like I might just stay there despite mm. my children and my husband and my life mm. waiting for me in Tasmania. It was extraordinary. So, yes, I think there is something about um, about that yearning. But the other thing is that I, once I'd written several novels, I was starting to create, the worlds were all connecting with each other. So I had the world of the medical mission in the Rain Queen and, you know, African traditional medicine and uh, witchcraft. And I mean that the safety doctor is the correct term for the witch doctor when they're being good and doing good, not not, not um, bad. <laughs> bad. Um, the, the, the medical research, the animal rehabilitation in lioness, uh, you know, all the different areas that I was going into, uh, they all sort of build on one another. So I, I just set off on a journey back into my world that I've created, which is, you know, it's, it, I draw so much from research. So I, people who know those worlds, in fact, I got a message on Facebook just this morning from someone reading The Beautiful Mother who'd been right there in the area where it's set. Uh, it's set at the foot of Old Donya Lengai, which is the Maasai holy mountain of God. It's a very, very sacred country and, you know, you can actually feel that. And part of that, the scientists would tell you, is because of the energies created around an active volcano that's saying there's a, there's a factual reason why it does feel so 
strange when you're there and and, and makes such an impression on you. But um, so people who've been there will recognise the um, that that I've evoked it very carefully to be real. But at the same time, it's also not real. A, a creation of my storytelling journeys that have yeah, been, your imagination. Yeah. Mm. Well, Catherine, um, we need to end it there, but um, always so lovely to speak with you. It is a beautiful book and you're right, the, the cover is gorgeous. It's called The Beautiful Mother, Catherine Scholes. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to it with every book, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. See you. Bye-bye. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.